A new season of Bridgerton is here. And with it, a new season of Bridgerton, the official podcast. I'm your host, Gabby Collins. And this season, we are bringing fans even deeper into the ton. Watch season three of the Shondaland series on Netflix. Then fall in love all over again by listening to Bridgerton, the official podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Subscribe to catch a new episode every Thursday. Hey, girlfriends, it's me, Carol Fisher, back with another season of the global number one podcast, The Girlfriends. Last time, we investigated the murder of Gail Katz. This time, we're uncovering the identity of the woman who was buried in Gail's grave for a decade before she disappeared. Join me and the rest of the club as we tell her story. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, I'm Michael Rappaport. And I'm Kibi Rappaport. And together we're hosting Rappaport's Rappaport's Reality Reality Podcast. Podcast. We have a passion for reality TV, and we're inviting you into our living room. We're dissecting the drama, and we're giving praise to the single greatest form of entertainment on television today. That is right. Reality TV is the greatest form of entertainment on television today. Listen to Rappaport's reality with me, Kibi Rappaport. And me, Michael Rappaport, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcast. It's like the police knew who he was before they got here. From iHeart Podcasts. The medical school dean at USC was leading a secret double life. He's breathing right now? Yes, he's absolutely breathing. I'm a doctor, actually. A story about money, power, and corruption. When people fall in line, they fall in line. Looking back, I realized, oh, everyone knew. I'm Paul Pringle, an investigative reporter for the LA Times. Listen to Fallen Angels, a story of California corruption, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, y'all. Hey, what's up? And welcome to Let's Red Table Bet. I'm Tracy T. Rowe. And I'm Cara Presley. How are you feeling about today's episode, Tracy? Okay. First of all, let me say this. I learned <laughs> uh-huh. what trauma bonding is. Oh, I you pro- didn't know before I, today? Well, no. Oh. Nope. I brought my own narrative. I gave myself its okay. definition of what I thought trauma bonding was. And I'm sure there are probably some other people who believe what I believe trauma bonding was. Uh-huh. If you're out there, holler if you hear me. So I thought trauma bonding was mm-hmm. people that had experienced trauma that had similar traumas and they connected and went through healing and bonded in that way. I didn't understand it to mean mm. that you were in your own trauma bonding experience. You understand what I'm saying? Mm, I do. I do. I do. Like it's more, I, I definitely realized in this episode, it's more of a subconscious thing that we are connected to and or drawn to people who have familiar behaviors that weren't as positive and or successful. So yeah, yeah. it's uh, it's, it was eye opening. I'll say that. It really was. Before we get into it, mm-hmm. let's back up and make sure we know what it is. Trauma bonding is the connection an abused person feels toward their abuser and develops out of a repeated cycle of abuse, devaluation, and positive reinforcement. Healthline says leaving an abusive relationship isn't as simple as walking out the door. So that is we true. Got that. I say that all the time. Right. Mm-hmm. Which, you know, they say with domestic violence, with people that have suffered from domestic violence, that they leave seven times and go back before they are gone for good. I believe it. I, you know, it, I just feel like any 
abusive situation. Mm -hmm. When people hear domestic violence or what have you, I think they all automatically think romantic, you know, your partner. Mm -hmm. But I think it happened, clearly, this season is showing us. It's happening more and more parent-child relationship. Any power dynamic, there's something. Any power dynamic. Mm -hmm. People literally are abusing their power out here. Bless my heart. I really thought people were living the right way. Okay, well, speaking of people not living the right way, I'm going to tell you who I'm sick of because this is a common thread. Dr. Romani, maybe we can get you on and you can help us. All these doggone narcissists. Oh, man. The narcissists are literally the common denominator for a good number of the things we've experienced. Am I right or wrong? Uh, they're living their best life out here. I mean, I'm, I'm not sure if they're winning or not, but they're everywhere. No, they're and losing it is because hurtful. they're winning. They're losers <laughs> because they're winning. Are, they're definitely losers, but it's like, what is that? That perspective that they are drawn to, that they have chosen this life of narcissism. Mm, mm, mm. Well, I can tell you that once I knew what the definition was, mm-hmm. I was like, oh, well, heck yeah, I got trauma bonding. You saw, which one do <laughs> you want to talk about? <laughs> right. <laughs> right, and it's so right. funny. The knee jerk for us is to start laughing, card like. Uh, because, laugh to keep from crying, friend. Right. I mean, and, well, and, and as we go through the episode, I have more of a relation in the workplace than any right. romantic connection. I just was thinking and listening, like, oh, yeah, oh, yeah, mm-hmm. wait a minute. So that's going to be interesting. I can't wait to tap into it. Now it's time to share what our online Red Table Talk community has to say about this episode. So I can kick this off first, right? So Kristen Morgan says, my goodness, that last couple got me. I came into my relationship exactly like Brianna. I had major daddy issues and didn't understand why anyone would want to be with me. So I tried my hardest to run my now husband off, but he stayed the course and together we worked through my issues. I got a little choked up on this one. Another great episode. Well, thank you, Kristen. We appreciate that. I enjoyed it too. Mm-hmm. Gretchen Marie Meggeyer said, Wow, I took notes during this episode for real. This one, I think a lot of people can relate to. Gretchen, you are so Ooh. absolutely right. Because I want you to know you weren't the only one taking notes. Our very own Carl was taking <laughs> notes too, weren't you, Carl? <laughs> yes, I was. Notebook and all. So I understand. Tracy Brooke Chappelle said, This was so phenomenal. I saw myself in Justin and his wife. Tears just rolling down my face as a serious truth hit me. I understand you, Tracy. Mm -hmm. Mm. Great name, Tracy. And Kim Bowie said, I was engaged four times before I finally married at 29. I was a mess in my teens and early 20s. Can't even remember a lot of it. Totally blocked it out, but all rooted in my parents' divorce and the breakup of our family. Glad I put in the work, made the change, and found someone who helped me get to the other side. Been married for 31 years now and enjoying the best years of my life. Aw, that's nice. Bravo, Kim. So good. Wonderful. We're going to take a quick break, but when we get back, we'll be joined by one incredible guest from our Red Table Talk community. A new season of Bridgerton is here. And with it, a new season of Bridgerton, the official podcast. I'm your host, Gabrielle Collins. And this season, we are bringing fans even deeper into the ton. Colin Bridgerton has returned from his travels abroad. Is betrothal written in the stars for The Eligible Bachelor? Meanwhile, the ton is reverberating with speculation of who holds Lady Whistledown's pen. We're discussing it all. I sit down with Nicola Coughlin, Luke Newton, Shonda Rhimes, and more to offer an exclusive peek behind the scenes of each episode of the new season. 
Watch season three of the Shondaland series on Netflix. Then fall in love all over again by listening to Bridgerton, the official podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Subscribe to catch a new episode every Thursday. We're bringing a fellow RTT community member to the virtual red table. Ingrid Clayton is a psychologist and author who comes at her work with a deeper level of understanding as she is a trauma survivor herself. Growing up with the narcissistic stepdad, Ingrid has worked to break the bonds of trauma in her life and support her patients in doing the same. Ingrid, thank you for coming on Let's Red Table That. How are you? I'm well. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you so much for joining So us. excited for you to be right. here. Yes. Ingrid, I have lots and lots of questions. I mean, I, first <laughs> off, we want to start out by saying that we're grateful you're here and we're going to learn a lot. Mm. And we have a segment that we love. This is a part of the show where we reveal which moments made us pause, rewind, and listen again. We call it, wait, what? So, wait, what? wait. <laughs> there were lots of wait what's in this episode. It's like wait. Several in this episode. Yeah. One of the first ones, Dr. Alfie said. You know how they used to say the devil you know is better than the devil you don't know. Right. But it's still the devil. Yeah. Right. But it's the devil that both of you are familiar with. Do you find yourself drawn to what you know, even if it's bad for you? Well, if you're asking me personally, I'm sad to say the answer is yes. And in fact, this is why I'm so passionate about sharing my personal experience, because I never understood that even though I thought I knew better growing up in a narcissistic family system and addicted family system, dysfunctional, toxic, however you want to label it, family system, I knew very young, I did not want this for the rest of my life. I wanted mm. to do it differently. And I sought so much help and guidance and support to attempt to do it differently. Mm -hmm. I have three degrees in psychology. I've sat on a million therapy couches. Mm. I've been sober for 27 years. And none of this information gave me the release from mm. what my nervous system learned as a mm. child growing up in this home. And so I've really come to understand it, that we almost have two distinct parts of ourselves. There's the conscious, yeah. rational mind that can intellectually right. understand, of course, I want to be in a healthy relationship. And then there's what I learned in my body through these very subtle subconscious experiences about, oh, no, this is what I have to do to be safe. This is what I have to do to maintain connection. This is what I have to do to have a voice. And this experience is what ultimately led me to my chemistry of being attracted to unavailable, narcissistic, actively addicted partners over and over again, even though I was working so hard to try to do it differently. So this idea of the way that I've heard it is red flags don't look like red flags when they feel like home. Ooh. Okay. Hold on now. That's big. That's <laughs> oh, red man. flags don't look like red flags when they feel like home. No. So I didn't know that it was the devil because the devil to me Listen, I learned how to survive 
in the face of these sort of bedevilments, it's, I can handle that. No yeah. worries. I can do right. that. That Jada said it somewhere in the episode. She's, oh, I can fix it. I can yeah. fix it. It was mm-hmm. deeply compelling to me because it was so familiar. And mm. so I really had to learn that that crazy kind of chemistry that felt like, ooh, there's so much right. potential here was not ooh. healthy chemistry. And in fact, my now marriage that thank goodness, the longest, healthiest relationship I've ever had felt night and day different entering into it than every relationship that I had before. That's really something. What you're gravitating to is what feels familiar, right? It feels like home. Yeah, it feels like home. It's not necessarily that it's a red flag. It's home. It may be red flags for everybody else, but what I see is home. Mm -hmm. Do you find that you're conscious of the decisions you make out of trauma in the moment, or do you look back later and see it clearly? It's more of a hindsight, especially in the beginning Mm. as you start to heal your trauma. So I think for me, this is why I talk about my experiences in the lens of trauma at all, because it finally allowed me to make sense to myself, right? So if I was going to all these therapists and going, why do I keep getting in these relationships? I can't figure it out. The thing that finally helped me was to understand First of all, the body will always prioritize safety, okay? And we have these trauma responses that are in effort to keep us safe, to help us survive, to maintain connection, even if it's not great connection. They are fight, flight, freeze, and fawn. And this last one here, fawning, is not only Mm -hmm. my experience, but it's what Jada talked about in the I Can Mm -hmm. Fix It. It's what Shay Mm -hmm. talked about in her people-pleasing tendencies. So the fawning trauma response is when we abandon ourselves in order to show up for someone else. It's the heartbeat of codependency is what fawning is. When I fawn, it's in service of I'm going to abandon myself and show up for you and then you're going to show up for me too, right? I'm going to fix your stuff. I'm going to help you along. I'm going to smile when you need me to smile. But eventually that's going to come full circle, isn't it? And unfortunately, it often does not. And where we land- There's no reciprocity there. That's right. And so where we end up is just abandoning ourselves and Uh staying abandoned. When you say we're abandoning ourselves, is it the exhaustion of it? Like, just subconsciously, like, I don't think I can fight this any longer. What do you mean, Cara? I mean, yeah. when you say people like, abandon themselves, like, I, in my spirit, I believe that no one wants to really just abandon themselves. 100%. Like, feel like they're doing all they can and they're going to do all they can for someone else. But when you say they are, we know that the act now is abandoning themselves. But I think in the moment, it's like exhaustion. I think it shows up. It may be depression. It may be the whole entire experience has spiraled them into a sense of, I got to just let go or I've done all I can. This is such a smart point that you're making. And so Pete Walker is the trauma therapist who coined the term fawning. And what he says Mm. is that fawning is the last house on the block. In other words, when you've tried the fight response, the freeze and flight response, and you have found them not to work in these toxic relationships Fawning Mm. is the last house. No, nobody wants to abandon themselves. Nobody wants to say, I don't matter. I'm going to privilege you because I don't really want to have any self-worth, right? Trauma responses are not conscious. 
These are based on our instincts, okay? So when you think about an animal surviving in the wild, they don't think, do I want to play dead when this other animal comes to attack me? Do I want to fight back and growl out? They just do it. These are instincts. We have the same Mm. instincts. They're not conscious. And again, that also allows me to have self-compassion because who would want to abandon themselves? It's so painful to have to look at how many times I personally did that. And a part of Uh healing is going back and grieving everything that I lost every time Uh I couldn't have a real voice or participate Uh fully in relationship. What you just said there too about grieving is important because if you don't see it as a loss and you Mm. see it's possibly still something I can fight for, something that's worth it then you don't even get to grieve to let go to move on. You're still grieving in real time and hurt. You're just hurt. You can't even Mm. allow it to be a grief. Yes. Like a part of grief is the acceptance that it's over and done and I can't do a thing about it. You know, and you hate to say it's a little bit easier when it's a person that's passed, right? Right. Grieving people that are still alive. My goodness. And that's why breaking these trauma bonds, it's one aspect of why breaking the trauma bond is so hard because We also want to have hope. (laughs) We want to believe that this person's going to come around and they're going to show up and take responsibility and do right by themselves and do right by me. And who doesn't want to have that sort of hope and belief in humanity? And we have to look at the writing on the wall and that all the hope and belief in the world is never going to change another person. So if they are not exhibiting true behaviors, not talking the talk, I'm talking about walking the walk, then I think someone really has to look at maybe it's time to grieve this relationship Mm -hmm. and stop Mm -hmm. investing more of myself in it. Okay, so Ingrid, we've been talking about trauma bonding. We gave a quick definition of what trauma bonding is in the beginning of this episode. But Ingrid, can you explain more thoroughly what exactly trauma bonding is? So... Trauma bonding, it does often get confused with this idea of two people that have trauma that are coming together and sort of bonding over that shared experience. I think that's often how it's talked about. Mm -hmm. But what we're talking Mm -hmm. about in the literature of trauma is it's a hormonal chemical attachment between two people that is based on alternate experiences of either abuse and neglect sprinkled in with some normal behavior, some what seems like healthy attachment or even love. And so there are two building blocks to trauma bonding. One is intermittent reinforcement, which is Mm. the receiving or giving of a reward rather at inconsistent intervals. Basically, this is Las Vegas, okay? Intermittent reinforcement. Mm. I'm going to sit down to the slot machine. I know I'm going to lose most of the time, but I'm pulling that lever because I want the big payout, right? It's worth Mm -hmm. it to me to keep throwing my money in because I'm like, there's a chance, right? That's basically intermittent reinforcement. Uh. The second building block is a power differential, okay? So when we see it in a parent-child relationship through employment, through financial situations, all kinds of things. So here's the thing that makes trauma bonding really tricky, I think, is that when we are abused or neglected, we are chemically wired, okay? Our entire body, the mission again is about survival. So we are wired to focus on getting to the other 
side, right? We want to be saved. Right. We want to be free. And when the abuser, the person that's neglecting you or unavailable, when they are the person that brings you relief, the brain now associates them with safety. Here's what I'm understanding. Yeah. I had to jump in here because based on what you just said, every single doggone body that's breathing <laughs> has had some type of trauma bonding. I mean, yes, yeah. maybe not at an nth degree yeah. level on some spectrum. All of and us have had it. some measure of trauma bonding because mm. what I understand you saying is even if the person doesn't know that they're inflicting trauma right. on you. Right, mm. right, right. You could be traumatized by them and it could still be the very person that could either do one of the two building blocks. Yes. That is either the person uh. that gives you the reward or the person that is the power. Yes. This, start, this started in school. I'm just going to say that. <laughs> that is amazing. I'm listening like this started in school. Yeah. Two plus two is, ooh, pick me, pick me, pick oh, me. Like the right. two plus two is four. For me, like I, I know that I, I enjoyed the attention of school mm. and getting things right. And I was a stellar student, right? So then when that started falling off, hello, middle school. <laughs> it's like, I what's see. going on here? You know okay. what I mean? But it translated into different ways for me, including like work. Mm. So when you said workplace, mm -hmm. girl, if you're dealing with a terrible manager and you and all your coworkers are all, that's a bond, not romantically. I think we often see it. And of course, we're talking about romantic settings in this conversation here. But I can see that in the workplace. Yeah, it's definitely not just romantic relationships, right? Like the building right. blocks for mine were with my stepfather and then my mother. And so if we look at how the brain latches on to the positive experience, right, about, oh, I've been chosen, I've raised my hand, and now I'm the favorite student or whatever it is. Once we're chosen, the brain does not hold on to this long-term experience of every single time that you weren't chosen, okay? It right, turns right. off the part of the brain that can think long-term. And this is what creates the feeling that we need the abuser to survive. It's why leaving mm -hmm. trauma bonds are so hard. It's why so many people go, why didn't you just leave, right? They don't understand what's happening in these deep dynamics in terms of a really hormonal connection. And so if you look at this intermittent reinforcement and go, okay, so the brain is only latching on to the part where, oh, thank goodness, we're back. We're good, right? I'm feeling yeah. good again. The relationship yeah. is good. And you're looking at these power dynamics where oftentimes someone's self-esteem is so whittled away, right? So their sense of mm -hmm. themselves has become so small that they genuinely do think that they need the other person in order to survive. It right. feels like annihilation right. wow. to leave these relationships. Right. It is bigger yeah. than devastation. Yeah. My life is over. That's the common phrase. That's a common phrase I hear, whether they're leaving a job or a relationship. Have you never heard someone say, even, yeah. now mind you, it's probably in a moment of just exacerbated exhaustion, but my life is over. What am I going to do? We talked a little bit about Cheryl's story, but now we do want to really hear from you, Ingrid. How did your stepdad's narcissism affect your life and cause you trauma specifically? First of all, the building blocks for trauma bonding are right there when you have a narcissist because narcissists intuitively know how to exploit this intermittent reinforcement, right? They're just masters mm. at giving you just enough and then ripping it all away. So... For me, I would be given 
the silent treatment in my own home for weeks, sometimes months at a time by him, where I'd come out to breakfast (gasps) and my brothers exist. Oh, good morning. And how are you? And it was literally like I I didn't exist in my own home. Were the brothers the sons of his or you all step there? He was stepdad to all of you. One was my biological brother. One was his son, my stepbrother. But he only wow. ignored you. He only ignored me. So I was the scapegoat child. And what I now know, which is what I finally pieced together only very late in life, unfortunately, is that my experience with my stepdad was one that he had created many times before me in terms of grooming a young girl in the hope of really what? for me being, he was grooming me to be his girlfriend. And so in order to oh try and achieve that, he was engaging in these trauma bonding techniques, again, not consciously. I don't know mm. had that language back then anyway, right. but he would ignore me, ground me, steep punishments for the tiniest little things. And then one day he'd say, hey, there's a new restaurant in town and you love Italian food. I'd love to pick you up from school and take you to lunch. And then we'd go to lunch and he'd say, you know what? There's this jewelry store across the street and I have to do some business there. Why don't you accompany me? And suddenly I'm walking out with this ring that I've been coveting in the window, right? So it's these Mm. types of highs and lows that contribute to this trauma bonding. How did you get to the point where you learned about his kind of pattern behavior with grooming and breadcrumbing and really pedophilic behavior? Yeah, well, so there's two things. There's the story that I've always known, which was just my experience as I understood it at the time and the experience I shared on every therapist couch that I ever went to. But two things never Mm -hmm. happened in my journey. No one ever named narcissism or narcissistic abuse, and no one ever named trauma. And so it was about five years ago when my stepdad died, and I was suddenly called to do this writing. And I wasn't even sure what I was writing, but it was stories from my own life. You know, I'll just make a long story short that I ended up for five years writing these experiences, what happened, what they did to me, the trauma responses. And Mm -hmm. it was only then that I could see my own story through the lens of trauma as a trauma therapist and finally give Mm -hmm. myself proper names and diagnoses for these things that I had been living with my whole life and I didn't know. And you didn't know. A new season of Bridgerton is here. And with it, a new season of Bridgerton, the official podcast. I'm your host, Gabrielle Collins. And this season, we are bringing fans even deeper into the ton. Colin Bridgerton has returned from his travels abroad. Is betrothal written in the stars for The Eligible Bachelor? Meanwhile, the ton is reverberating with speculation of who holds Lady Whistledown's pen. We're discussing it all. I sit down with Nicola Coughlin, Luke Newton, Shonda Rhimes, and more to offer an exclusive peek behind the scenes of each episode of the new season. Watch season three of the Shondaland series on Netflix. Then fall in love all over again by listening to Bridgerton, the official podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Subscribe to catch a new episode every Thursday. 
Cheryl said that she was just not attracted to kind men. I just was not attracted to the nice guy. I'll never forget my very first competitive dance partner. So sweet. Mm -hmm. I was so disgusted by how sweet he was. And I was only attracted to chauvinistic men. This is because the relationships she experienced were unhealthy. That's right. Ingrid, have you found yourself reenacting your own trauma, whether in relationships or other ways? I reenacted it so many times I lost count. I reenacted it so many times. Really? It makes me emotional to think about it even now. I genuinely thought I was broken. I thought there must be something so deeply wrong with me because I cannot get into a healthy relationship to save my life. When Cheryl talked about the kind person, I understand that so completely. Available, kind people, it was a little yeah. repulsive. And I yeah. also thought, if you really knew me, mm. you would not like me the way... Because my right. body was so right. unaccustomed to that kind of wow. available, present, and kind attention. And so after I left my first husband, I did a ton of work on myself. And what ended up happening is, <laughs> I will never forget it, sitting across from my now husband on our first date, I thought, he is so lovely. And we are having such an interesting conversation. And he's so present. He had all of the makings of this mm -hmm. kind, present, available type of partner. And so I mm -hmm. thought... I think we're just meant to be friends. Right. Like, there's no way we could be together. I totally get that. I totally get that, Ingrid. Wow. I mistook that kind of crazy chemistry that had happened with all of the narcissists and addicted people before. I mistook mm -hmm. that as yeah. a necessary ingredient to enter into a relationship. And so when it was missing... I truly thought, well, we must not have that kind of chemistry. What I didn't know is that kind right. of chemistry mm. is unhealthy chemistry. It's a sign I should be running in the other direction. And so, right, head for the head hills. For the right. hills. Yeah. So right. I finally <laughs> yeah. figured out I need to stick around <laughs> long enough and try on this thing that was yeah. so foreign to me. And I'm so yeah. grateful I did because it is a night and day experience. How long have you and your husband been together? We've been together 10 years. Beautiful. Let me tell you, yeah. I know for me, Ingrid, my wife and I have been together for 28 years. Oh. And like you, because I had been in so many relationships, and interestingly enough, it really started for me, the whole trauma bonding, now that I better mm. understand what that was or is, in me was with my weight and the negative, harsh treatment that I received from my father. And I didn't think I was worthy. Right. Right. I had this whole issue with image. Mm. And sweetie accepted me. And even when I mm. gained even more weight than I did when we wow. met. And it was weird to me. I was like, are you... Are, is this real? Are you sure you like mm -hmm. what you see? Are you unconditionally right. loving me? Is this true? So much so that we literally just got married on our 25th anniversary because I didn't believe it was real. It took me that long, mm. you know, to be able to trust it. Oh, my gosh. Congratulations on getting married and staying together for so long. But I really identify with the like, are you sure? Like, I will say things to my husband on a weekly, if not daily basis, where I'm sort of explaining myself or questioning him. Mm -hmm. And he'll be like, you mm -hmm. don't have to do mm -hmm. that. And I'm like, what? 
what yes, are you sh- right. like really yes. you're really not judging me I can tell you I feel better now that you have 1500 <laughs> degrees and you're burst and trained and you still <laughs> suffer and just little old me is having the same trouble you're having I feel much better Cara right. what about you No, yeah, I have experienced some of these feelings. But as you guys speak, I'm more so thinking about Mm. the workplace and just Mm. the, am I worthy? And I knew I was because people would steal my ideas in the workplace. I knew I was because I would always get the promotion in the workplace. I knew I was Mm. because I was always the top-rated instructor in the workplace. But when it came to this one particular Mm. manager, she just couldn't quite understand why I was always being accelerated to the point that someone called one time and requested that I teach a class because I'm just that successful. But she made me teach it to another girl <gasps> that she trusted to travel. Well, that's and teach just it. flat out manipulation. I mean, she, it's not that she couldn't see it. it is. It's not that she couldn't see it. She could see it. She couldn't stand it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and my optimism space as I'm unlearning. As I'm unlearning these things, I couldn't fathom that somebody would think that deeply to hold someone back, and they definitely will. That's so painful. It's painful, but I'm glad that I've experienced it because I can now affirm myself over Mm. and over again, and I'm aware Mm. of it. Yes, for the self-affirmation. I'm here for that, Cara. I love that. That's huge. I'm all about self-affirmation. It's the healing. It's the healing. It's real time. It's real time. Jada and Shay both shared about feeling the need to fix people Mm. and people pleasers. Ingrid, how does this play out as a trauma response? Well, these are perfect examples of the fawning trauma response. This idea that if I see a broken bird, I go, oh, it's as though it gives me Mm. some sort of credibility or reason to be in the relationship. It's like, I feel like I don't have any power, but if my Mm. power is I'm going to help you. I'm going to be of service to you. That's fawning. That's the fawning trauma Mm. response. Yeah. Yeah. And same with the people pleasing. Shay talked about that such a great deal where she almost, you could kind of sense it. Mm -hmm. It was like she had no sense of herself at a certain point. It's like, no, of course you're going to move in. And I'm only going to confront that I don't want you here when we talk about a dresser. And it's like, wait a second, Mm -hmm. like, because Mm -hmm. we don't know that we're fawning, right? So even just having this language, I think, can alert us to, you know, I think you said before, do you know when you're doing it? Or do you know more in hindsight? So if I don't know what a red flag is, because I grew up in a house full of red flags that I was meant to have for breakfast, lunch and dinner every single day, part of how we know that we've experienced trauma, that we're engaging in trauma responses, is to look at our history and go, what are my patterns? What am I repeating? Mm -hmm. What am I doing again that makes me crazy that I'm doing it again? And when we can put those patterns in this lens and language of trauma, it's like we can suddenly see it for the first time when we go out into the world and we go, oh, wait a second, I'm people pleasing here. I also think that word codependency has become so stigmatized it's hard to see yourself in right. it. You're like, no one wants to be codependent. And people are like, why don't you just love yourself as though it's just this choice? Our body is fawning for survival. But when I can identify it as a trauma response, I can remind myself in that moment, I can put my hand on my heart, which is a self-compassionate position where I can go, okay, Ingrid, you are safe right now. 
Your past is not happening. Mm -hmm. Right. You are allowed to have a voice. It's okay to have an opinion. But I genuinely have to pause and attend to what's happening in my body because part of a trauma response is you don't know if it's happening right now or if it's happening 30 years ago, right? These things get fused. Trauma knows no time when it's living in your body. So it just feels real. Trauma too is trying to just, let me just skate past it versus like you say, stop at just what did that thing feel like? What was that? Yes. Was that a trigger? What should my response be? And giving yourself the option of responses versus just what I always do. So challenging mm. that narrative in yes. your head, right? Tracy, I know you mentioned that you've fallen into being a people pleaser. So how did you break this I, habit for yourself? I was a people pleasing queen. Do you hear me? <laughs> I had, I was, I really was. And I'm so grateful I can identify that now. Mm. I'm happy right. to say that I was able to break that habit, but it took a long time. Part of it was I had this unbelievable sense of unworthiness. I would compare myself Mm. to other people and not feel like there was any value that I added unless I was making Mm. them happy with what I was doing for them. That it was the accolade. I wanted to get that, yes, that girl, that way to go. You're special. You're a gift to me. I'm so grateful for you and have that acknowledgement. Mm -hmm. And I finally had to acknowledge for myself that after pouring into so many other people, as Jada said it, fixing other people and seeing the potential Mm -hmm. in other people and showing them up, I was pouring out and I was empty. Yeah, There was literally nothing left for me to have for my own goals and dreams. Okay, I likened it to this. I was paying rent for other people and I was homeless. Right. Mm. That's exactly right. And I had Mm -mm. to just stop and look around and say, let me get my stuff together and get in this house that I bought (sighs) and take care of my own stuff and get my own Mm. house shored up and cleaned up and ready and then pursue Mm. some of my goals. I mean, I literally put going and getting another degree on Mm. hold and doing stuff for family. I don't regret it because it was all part of a lesson, but Mm -hmm, I had mm -hmm. to take stock and inventory and say, I'm 50 years old now. The majority of my life has been lived. What am I going to do when I look back and say, gosh, I regret this and I hate that I didn't do that and have all these different dreams and realize it's because I've been people pleasing and those people have moved on with their own lives. They didn't know the toll it was taking on me. They thought I enjoyed it because I made made myself look so happy doing it. They thought you wanted to. Yeah. Buy everybody breakfast. I thought you <laughs> yeah. liked buying everybody breakfast. Right. Oh, it's you my know, pleasure. It's, yeah. No. Right. And right. I learned that no was an answer and that it was okay. Yes. And people would be okay with no. And if they weren't, they would have to move on. Yes. It, yes, they will. Some people will be okay with the no. And those are the people that get to stay in your life. But there's another saying, which is when we stop yes. people pleasing, people will not be pleased. Well, let me tell you what I can say to that, Ingrid. Amen and hallelujah, yeah. because the people that yeah. were not pleased blocked me and blessed me. That's right. But that's a huge transition I was blocked and blessed. in your nervous system to go from literally living for people's Ooh. validation yes. to suddenly not only are they not giving you validation, they might be mad. And that can feel terrifying. Yeah. Oh, gosh. I was so uncomfortable for a, I mean, because this was one that happened recently. This happened like within the last year. And when I stopped people pleasing for this particular person who is now, I know, a narcissist, I made a choice and did what Katie Morton calls the hug and roll. And I said, okay, I'm creating these boundaries for myself. So now here's what I'm not going to do anymore. And the minute I did that, y'all, I got cut off. 
I got blocked from every it's, part. It's amazing how they do it. But I just made a good, healthy decision for myself. I'm taking care of myself. How are you angry? And I was, I had to sit with that. I was so uncomfortable. And I kept saying, do I reach out? Right. Do I try to make right, amends? Right. And then it was kind of this duality of, girl, no, you don't call them. Don't call them. You get to live your life. You get to make a choice. You're grown. Mm. And then it was like, but they're upset. But they me. may I be didn't hurt. Like that. Right. And I had to just get myself together. And oh, I said, you know I've been what? hurt. You, you go on. You go on with that. You have that. That's your funk. You hold on to your funk. I'm good. Oh, it's life changing. Life changing it is. And it gives me so much anxiety just hearing you talk about it. I'm like, oh, no, I know that feeling. So now the women at the red table talked about how difficult it can be to choose yourself. And that could be society tells Mm. us we need others to feel fulfilled or that as women, we exist to serve others. Oh, my gosh. These societal norms. Now, Ingrid. Mm. You wrote an entire book called Breaking the Cycle of Trauma in Your Life, and you called it Believing Me. I love the title, by the way. Thank you. So you know what they're talking about. Okay. How has choosing yourself transformed your life? I mean, it's almost too big of a thing to try to contain in a couple of sentences. But for many years as I was writing the book, it was not called Believing Me. My working title was Maybe It Wasn't That Bad. Because that's the space Ooh, I, like that that I too. lived in for so many years of minimizing what happened, minimizing what it did to me. And when we minimize mm. what happened, we can't see the repercussions and then we can't get the real support. And that's why this mm-hmm. believing in ourselves, our own stories, what happened, what we're actually experiencing and giving it a voice is such I mean, it blows the door open on trauma healing in my experience. And the more that I have a voice, the more that I am not hiding my experiences because they might hurt other people's feelings or all that people pleasing stuff. The more I am getting to know who I am, honestly, for the first time in my whole life, like when you said I'm 50 years old and I'm still doing this stuff. I think there also just comes a time where it's like, yes, whose life am I living? It is mine. And when am I going to put myself in the center of it? And that was a huge part of this writing journey for me was I kind of started on the surface with certain things. And then I just had to keep drilling down to what's true, drilling down to what's Mm -hmm. true. And -hmm. there comes a point where I am no longer willing to abandon myself, to sacrifice myself. Mm -hmm. I just, I literally Mm -hmm. cannot do it anymore when I have the conscious awareness Mm -hmm. of it. And so by the end of the book, I was Mm. like, no, 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 no. This is not about maybe it wasn't that bad. The whole arc of the story is about believing me. It's amazing to me because it reminds me of what Dr. Susan Gleason said about taking on an archaeologist perspective with Mm -hmm. your own life for your own self, that you literally have to kind of dig and carve out some of what is in the way of you getting to the true core and essence of who you are, that you have to kind of dig, dig deep, find what works, know what is not going to be possible Mm -hmm. for you in your life that isn't nurturing you or something that you need to get out of your life in the way that one of my former associates who I thought was a friend blocked Mm. and blessed me you just never Mm. know blocked and blessed I'm taking this with me today (laughs) I love that so much (laughs) that part but can I just say one thing in relation to trauma bonding because that block 
was designed in a way to see if you were going to go, no, 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 right. no, no, no. Yes. That yes. is the cycle starting all over again, right? That's the lows. Mm-hmm. That's the, I'm mm-hmm. not giving you the payout. No, I'm mm-hmm. going to block you. And it's designed mm-hmm. to make us go, no, I need to be rewarded right. by you. I right. need to know that you're okay to know that I'm okay. And you that broke that trauma bond by mm-hmm. saying, wait a second, this feels terrible, but right. I'm going to hold my boundary anyway. Because healthy boundaries, when we're not used to them, they don't feel good. They don't feel like a victory lap. They feel terrible it for months. Not. Like you're talking about going, am I doing the right thing? Am I just right. being a jerk? Like maybe right. I went too mm-hmm. far. That's what it feels like. But you said, even if it's all of those things, I'm still going to choose me. And over right. time, mm-hmm. you got more clarity and felt better about yourself. And I mean, mm-hmm. it's a perfect example of breaking a trauma bond with a healthy boundary. All right. Yay. Look at you. Score. Score for the blocked and blessed. That. I love it. Right. Ingrid, we could talk to you for hours. I mean, this has been I so know. amazingly therapeutic. What a phenomenal mm, gift. Best. Thank you so much. This was an amazing conversation. Yes. I love what you're doing. Thanks for having me as a part of the conversation. Oh, absolutely. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for coming to the virtual Red Table. We want to know how you're feeling about this new season of Red Table Talk. We are open to talk about anything with you. So please send in your questions at Let's Red Table That at Red Table Talk. Com. Or there's another option. Leave us a voicemail at speakpipe.com slash let's red table that. Yes, we want to hear your voice. Leave us one. We'll, we can't wait to hear it. We love that. And you know what else we love? We love our listeners. Thank you so yes. much for listening to us. We want you to make sure that you subscribe on iHeartRadio app and please rate this podcast on Apple Podcasts. Y'all know we want a five. We'll be back next week for another episode of Let's Red Table That. Special thanks to executive producers Jada Pinkett-Smith, Fallon Jethro, and Ellen Rackerton. Thank you to our producer, Kyla Kaneru, and our associate producer, Yolanda Chow. And finally, thanks to our sound engineer, Stephanie Aguilar. Yay! Hey, let's red table that. Hey, let's red table that. Hey! A new season of Bridgerton is here. And with it, a new season of Bridgerton, the official podcast. I'm your host, Gabby Collins. And this season, we are bringing fans even deeper into the ton. Watch season three of the Shondaland series on Netflix. Then fall in love all over again by listening to Bridgerton, the official podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Subscribe to catch a new episode every Thursday. Hey, girlfriends, it's me, Carol Fisher, back with another season of the global number one podcast, The Girlfriends. Last time, we investigated the murder of Gail Katz. This time, we're uncovering the identity of the woman who was buried in Gail's grave for a decade before she disappeared. Join me and the rest of the club as we tell her story. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, I'm Michael Rappaport. And I'm Kibi Rappaport. And together we're hosting Rappaport's Rappaport's Reality Reality Podcast. We have a passion for reality TV, and we're inviting you into our living room. We're dissecting the drama, and we're giving praise to the single greatest form of entertainment on television today. That is right. 
Reality TV is the greatest form of entertainment on television today. Listen to Rappaport's reality with me, Kibi Rappaport. And me, Michael Rappaport, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcast. It's like the police knew who he was before they got here. From iHeart Podcasts. The medical school dean at USC was leading a secret double life. Breathing right now? Yes, he's absolutely breathing. I'm a doctor, actually. A story about money, power, and corruption. When people fall in line, they fall in line. Looking back, I realized, oh, everyone knew. I'm Paul Pringle, an investigative reporter for the LA Times. Listen to Fallen Angels, a story of California corruption, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts.